Well, hello, everyone. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quants. Welcome to Business Casual, our weekly podcast with my co-host, Maria Wickvilla, the founder of Applicant Lab, and Caroline Diarty Edwards, the former head of admissions at NCAD and the co-founder of Fortuna Admissions. So today we have some interesting news. McKinsey, Bain, and BCG, along with Goldman Sachs, I might add, are now saying that a high GMAT score, in fact, any GMAT score is not a prerequisite to getting an internship offer or a full-time job offer from the firms. And, you know, for years, the common thought was that if you had a sub-700 GMAT score, there was very little likelihood that you could ever get hired by MBB. And all three firms are disabusing people of that that notion today. And they say they've de-emphasized the scores in part because they got in the way of diversity, equity, and inclusion goals at these companies. Goldman Sachs, in fact, says they haven't been asking for GMAT scores for several years. So I want to talk a little bit about that with Maria and Caroline. And then I also want to celebrate something. You know, this is graduation time. And MBAs all over the world are streaming out and off the campuses and going off to their new jobs. Every year, and this is the seventh year in a row, we publish a list of the top 100 best and brightest MBA graduates in the world. We just published it today. We're recording this on the Monday. And I just got to say, I am so inspired, so motivated by the people on this list and their life journey so far. And I want to talk a little bit about these people because for those of you who may have a more skeptical or cynical view of people who get MBAs, I think this would entirely disabuse you of that view. Well, let's go back first and talk about McKinsey Bain and BCG saying, you know what, we may ask for a GMAT score, but it doesn't impact our decision to either give you an internship or give you a full-time job offer. Maria, do you believe them? I mean, I believe them to the extent that I also believe that the schools, when the schools say, oh, it's holistic and your GMAT score, you know, we don't really care. We just, I, I mean, I look, I, I do believe them insofar as I don't know that the GMAT would necessarily test the sort of skills that a good consultant or investment banker needs to have. It certainly measures certain academic preparedness and things along those lines, but certainly is not going to be as predictive of success as, say, a good case interview performance. So I can understand, you know, I think from their perspective, they're probably thinking, okay, the business schools themselves have already vetted these candidates in terms of their overall intelligence. And so maybe we're missing out on great people if we are trying to be, if we are sort of snobby in a way for a test that it's not like they, I can understand why the schools would say, well, we we need higher scores because we report that and it involves our rankings, but it's not like the companies themselves are like, nobody publishes the average GMAT of the entering class at Goldman Sachs. So they, they don't even need it as a vanity metric. So yeah, I, I think I, I would, I, I'll tell you this. The reason I hesitated is because if they were really serious about it, they wouldn't ask for it at all. In fact, they would forbid you from putting it in your application or from putting it, you know, if they really were serious about that, like yeah. it doesn't really I, matter. So uh, the fact I, that they're still letting you put it makes me think that, eh, you know, it's not going to uh, hurt <laughs> if, you, if you have a high score. In, in fact, the uh, chief recruiter 
at Bain and Company, Keith Bevins, who we've had on our podcast, and people can look that up. It was actually quite a good interview with him. He said, if you're at a top B school, you probably have something amazing going for you anyway. If you're training for the Olympics rather than taking the GMAT, that tells me more about your competitiveness than if you can tell me the angle of this triangle, he said. And incidentally, he he also said that the only reason Bain uses a score is for an internal analysis it runs. And that analysis shows that a higher score doesn't always correlate to being a more productive Bain consultant. Caroline, what's your take on this? Yeah, I agree. I think it, it the GMAT is designed as a a tool for business schools, right, to select candidates, and and it's really it's purely focused on ac- academic ability. So it is not at all designed to to predict success in any particular career. And while management consultants, you know, they, they often have very strong analytical abilities, and people who score well on the GMAT probably have very strong analytical abilities as well. So you know, they, it can't it can't hurt, right, to have a have a good GMAT, but you know, I'm sure they are still looking at it. And I'm sure that the candidates who have a fantastic GMAT are still highlighting it in their applications, right? So if they've got that stellar, you know, 750, 760 GMAT, then then why not highlight it in your application? It, it you know, can help you stand out. But, you know, th- these are big firms and they need to recruit a somewhat diverse pool as well. They, it would it would be rather dull, I suspect, if they only recruited people who had you know seven seventy seven eighty GMATs that they're looking for. You know they're they're like the business schools, right? They need some diversity in their incoming pool, and and they don't want people with all of this exactly the same profile. That that's not going to be the best incoming class for them. And w- when I was at INSEAD, we looked at a number of criteria in the that we look at in the admissions process and then how that correlates to how people do on the program and then how people do later on and actually you know funnily enough there's a slight there was a slight negative correlation between a high GMAT and and professional success and you know I think that's because someone with an incredible GMAT score can stay it's probably someone who stands out really really well really strongly on the academic evaluation and someone who has a poor GMAT score has to stand out particularly strongly on the professional evaluation. And so it's actually probably that second student who ultimately does better in their career, right? Because they, they've they already proven themselves and, and have, you know, incredible achievements professionally. And so they, they are more likely, you know, I, I think past performance is the best predictor of future success. And if they've got an incredible track record professionally pre-MBA, then they are more likely to go on and 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 be the you know the the future CEOs and and founders of incredibly successful companies. So the GMAT is great as a, as an input for business school, but less so I think for recruiters. Yeah, and in, and in fact, was, I remember a number of years ago. It was about six years ago. In fact, we did a really interesting story about it called the case against the GMAT. The University of Toronto's Rotman School of Management studied the admission files and employment outcomes of more than a thousand of its MBA graduates over a five-year period to look at what impact high GMATs had. And they also found a slightly negative correlation uh, when it came to getting jobs for MBAs. So, and they also found in terms of admissions that the interview was a much more powerful tool 
to determine whether or not an admit or rather an applicant who is admitted can fulfill the academic requirements of the program and gain employment immediately after graduation or during graduation. So what you found at NCOD was similarly found at Rotman in the study of more than 1,000 MBA graduates. So I guess, you know, it, it kind of makes sense. And, you know, when you when you hear BCG and McKinsey talk about this, I mean, they're basically saying, you know, yeah, we're looking at it, but it's it's less important and it's not absolutely needed. But you're right. There's no downside to having a high GMAT score and putting it on your resume when you apply to MBB. But it may be enlightening to know that it's not a necessity anymore, which is, um, mm. I, I think, a great weight. And it also, this is occurring at a time when more and more schools are either going test optional or they're promoting uh, test waiver policies. In fact, this past week, Michigan Ross said that because it saw, quote unquote, Many incredible applicants in its applicant pool in the past year who had asked for a waiver and gotten one, they've decided to extend their waiver policy into the new admission season in 2021-2022. And I would think that probably a lot of other schools are going to do the same thing. And I think this is why this issue has come up in the first place, because there are a lot of people who wouldn't want to do that if they want to go and work in consulting. Well, now... McKinsey, Bain, BCG are saying, yes, it's okay to do it. That's interesting. So the other thing is, like I said before, we are involved in graduation time. It's a, a, a wonderful and great celebration of those who've been through two crazy years marked by the pandemic for these graduates who had to slog through a lot of remote instruction and, and be removed from their classmates in a way that was unprecedented. You know, I want to take take my hat off, pat their pat their back, and say, "Hey, congratulations! You made it, and you made it through an incredible time and period when there was major disruption to uh, to every aspect of our life." And you know, every year, at least for seven years in a row now, what we do at Poets and Quants is we go to the schools and we ask them to nominate MBA forthcoming graduates who they consider to be, you know, among the best of the lot. And they're encouraged to select people on both the academics, the extracurricular achievements, the innate intangibles, and the potential or unusual personal stories that they may have. And this year we had 239 nominations from 68 programs all over the world. We pick 100 only, and they are each of these nominations are really scrutinized by a number of people on our staff to pick the 100. And one of the interesting things I found in this group is 60 of the 100 people who were chosen were women, which is pretty remarkable, frankly. Uh, you know, last year there was more of a 50-50 gender split, but uh, women ruled. What do you say? <laughs> Caroline, what surprised. do you think? Yeah, I think that's great. I, I, you know, I, I think um, we are heading towards parity in, in gender and business school. And, you know, a lot of these women have incredible profiles and often, you know, remarkably diverse profiles. So actually, one of the ones that I, I picked out to highlight is, uh, not surprisingly, the student from INSEAD. I was very curious to see who was on the list from INSEAD. So there's Sonia 
I might pronounce her last name incorrectly, Agbezoulon. So she's um, from Paris. So I hope she spent some of the year in Singapore. But I was fascinated by her profile because she has a master's in, in chemistry of fragrances and flavors. Um, wow. And she worked as a flavorist at a um, Japanese company in Germany before um, before going to INSEAD. So, you know, really, really unusual profile. And she speaks French, English, German, Portuguese, Hungarian, and Hebrew. Um, and her, her regret from her MBA experience is that she didn't also learn Japanese during her year at INSEAD. Um, so that, that made me laugh because, you know, she's uh, obviously a polyglot already. And it's not easy to learn an additional language, actually, whilst you're at INSEAD because it's a one-year program. It's pretty intense. So I would actually encourage people to learn an extra language before or afterwards rather than during the program because it's so much to juggle already. And I just think, you know, she's a wonderful example of how incredibly diverse the, uh, the, the student body is at a lot of the top business schools. And it's absolutely fascinating to sit in the classroom and in teams um, with people who've just, you know, had jobs that you've perhaps never even heard of before. Um, and you know and and face challenges and had experiences that are just so different from your own and that's such an incredibly important part of the of the learning experience at business school and I, I think also it's important for potential candidates to be aware of this type of profile because sometimes I speak to candidates who fear that they're at a disadvantage because they are not an investment banker or a management consultant or typical sort of feeder profile for business school and they feel that they're at a disadvantage but actually you know quite the contrary it's wonderful to have a profile that that has you know something very different to bring to the classroom yeah that's really true and i have to say one of the things that i love about this feature every year is look it's very easy to be skeptical if not cynical about our future particularly during this time when so many people have been locked down and and have struggled through the pandemic and some people have been very ill and have lost valuable, important loved ones. And reading the stories, the life journeys of these young people give you plenty of reason for hope. I mean, they inspire, they motivate. They're just remarkable people. And it gives you a, a glimpse, just a glimpse of the kind of talent that's pouring into these business schools and MBA programs. You know, uh, here, Jasmine Sneed, okay, this is a woman who uh, was at the University of Maryland's MBA program, you know, not, not one of the uh, top tier uh, programs, and she spent nearly two decades as a competitive ice skater. But what's kind of interesting about Jasmine is that she struggled to find gear that fit her skin color. So she would have to dye her tights in a bathtub before competitions to better align with her complexion. And lo and behold, she co-founded a company called Aurora Tights in business school, a gender neutral clothing firm that provides athletic wear in a variety of shade styles and sizes. You have another one, uh, Joshua Young Yang uh, from Stanford, who happens to be also pursuing an MD and PhD in biomedical engineering at Johns Hopkins. This guy has already launched in business school, a biotech firm that's raised $5 million during its seed round in, during the winter. And you just go on and on. These people are just really remarkable. Joanne Young from Imperial College in London. She founded a cryptocurrency exchange that was ranked among the world's 30 largest in just six months. 
and get this, she translates books from English to Mandarin. So it's just, it kind of blows your mind, really. Maria, did anyone stand out for you? Yes. So I think I think the uh, the Joshua you just mentioned, who Stanford, oh, okay. uh, he wasn't getting any PhD. So he was he was definitely one. I, another thing that that stood out for me about him is that he was a Siebel Scholar, which a lot of people aren't familiar with this, yes. but it basically means that he was selected by the dean of Stanford Business School, I believe, as one of their top three or five students in his graduating class. And he comes with a pretty sizable stipend. Um, so that alone, like if, even if he didn't have any of the other things, just being a Siebel scholar alone shows that you're pretty, you're pretty cool. I think one person who stood out for me was Melanie Gonzalez at Stern. This is a woman who actually majored in dance as an undergraduate. She doubled majored in dance and economics, but she was per- trying to pursue a career as a professional dancer. But unfortunately, after she graduated from college, she had sort of an industry, uh, a career ending injury that, you know, so instead she went to work at, at Merrill Lynch. And so I think one of the things I liked about this is, is I love the fact that she, you know, she pursued her passion as a dancer. I really, I, I really love it when I meet people or I see profiles of people who have followed their true passions and not just like, oh, here's what I think I should major in or here's what I think I should do with my life because it it's you know what sounds good. So first of all, I always love that level of authenticity. I also love the tenacity that she showed, right? Like when she when her ankle was, I don't remember if it was her ankle, but whatever it was, whatever, whatever it was about her foot that broke and she could no longer dance professionally instead of sort of getting down and you know, kind of giving up, she pursued a career on Wall Street. And and I think when people, you know, sometimes I, I think when people hear about quote unquote diversity candidates like this woman is is Latina, there's sort of this idea sometimes of like, oh, well, maybe they sort of lowered the standards a little bit uh, <laughs> to let her in. But I that's one of the things that bugs me so much. And and one of the things that I'll, I'll say is she actually had gotten multiple promotions at Merrill Lynch in in her pre her pre MBA years. I'm skimming it right now. Gosh, I had it. I had it highlighted. It was something like three promotions in four years. Right. Um, and if you think about the average promotion cycle, usually being one promotion every two years, it sounds like she got she got promoted. So she was definitely a high performer, right? This was not some sort of like, well, she's Hispanic, so let's just you know, no, she was definitely a high performer as a dancer, a high performer on on Wall Street. And so I thought it was great. And I also really liked her because she is the uh, one of the co-VPs of admissions for the Hispanic and Black Student Business Association, which was a volunteer role that I had. And I think I think one of the things that I, I, I noticed in a number of these profiles was this idea of uh, really paying it forward for other people in, in a number of ways. But also, in particular, one of the ways was admissions. So, you know, this woman was one of the co-presidents of the uh, Hispanic and Black Student Association for for admissions. There was a woman named Ayanna Kennedy who started Wharton's inaugural outreach program to the historically Black colleges and universities, um, which I think is a vital thing that all of these business school programs should be should be doing. Um, there was a there was another person who at uh, someone named Nash Porter at Texas A and M who not on the diversity side but on the consulting club side he doubled the size of the consulting club at his school to 150 members and I I really loved that because you know if you're if you're at a school like Texas A and M and you're applying for a consulting job it's probably super competitive and so one route that someone could have taken is to say okay i understand how consulting recruiting works i'm going to hold that information just for myself so that i maximize my chances of getting a job but what this says to me is that this person mr porter he actually said no let me expand this knowledge to as many people as possible um even though that 
not only is, you know, he might've even hurt himself in the process. What if he ended up training people in the consulting club who ended up getting a job that he wanted? So, so things like this, this is a recurring theme that I saw through a number of these people who not only before business school, but during business school, went out of their way to try to make things better for the next generation. One more example that I have is there was a woman named Dunya Alarbadi at BYU's Marriott School, and she helped propel them to launch a STEM-designated program, which, as as we know, helps international students stay in the U.S. for longer. And I I am not sure if she is going to benefit from that. So it sounds like the sort of thing that if if that designation did not come in time for her, she's helping people who are following her for years and years and years to come. So that that sort of theme was very heartwarming for me to see. Yeah. And actually, the the whole issue of diversity and inclusion came through really strongly. Uh, One forthcoming graduate from, from London Business School founded the first Black Focus Student Club and the first among the top European programs. There was another who actually developed a course in diversity with a professor at Georgetown, Lena Jube, who spent a year developing the course, uh, Innovation Through Inclusion. Then there was uh, a student at Indiana University's Kelly School of Business, Justin Speller, who authored a case that will be the foundation for the school's next diversity case competition. So really a lot of fantastic and incredible things and giving back and and paying it forward was a really big theme as it often is because of course, you know, you, ha- you have to stand out from uh, the crowd and these folks definitely do. Caroline, did anyone else come into your uh, focus? The other one that I was um, fascinated by, so a guy who's graduating from Haas, Olasani Bello. So he, I always love the international background. So he is originally from Lagos, Nigeria, and then moved to Savannah, Georgia, became a U.S. citizen, joined the army. He's a Bronze Star recipient. (laughs) Um, He also has a JD from Vermont Law School. I love him for that because I spend a lot of time each summer in Vermont. And so he's, he's done a lot of interesting stuff. He actually founded a startup during his time at Haas. And he said that before he went to business school, he talked to a lot of students, second year students, and asked them if they had any regrets about their business school experience. And some of them said that they wished that they had, they'd been more bullish about pursuing an entrepreneurial idea that they had whilst they were at business school. And so he he sort of took that to heart and he's um, launched a medtech startup wow. while he's at Haas and um, it's part of the Berkeley Skydeck Accelerator Program. So it's an app for people who are traveling um, to help them find the best possible healthcare and healthcare that you know can help them in their own language if they're traveling internationally. So you know, fascinating, extraordinary that that I mean, he's also survived COVID. Um, he got COVID and he ended up in the ICU. Um, wow. Yeah. And, and so he's bounced back from that as well. So eh, extraordinary background and, you know, incredible what he's done just, you know, during those two years at Haas. That's really true. You know, if, if you want any more evidence that uh, the vast majority of MBAs are not masters of the universe, do not have sharp elbows and are not highly competitive, you need to read this feature of the best and brightest because It'll lift your spirits. It really will. And even during this COVID time when, you know, social interaction among students was fairly constrained, my favorite quote in the story is from an MBA at the University of Pittsburgh. 
You know, not, not a school that's on a whole lot of lists. Her name was Bianca Joy Payton. Here's what she said, and I think this describes the MBA experience for a lot of people, and it's why it's such a special thing. To say that my MBA experience was elevated because of my colleagues would be a gross understatement. They have made these two years the greatest of my life. The fact is I came into this program with 66 strangers, but will be leaving with 66 family members. I love that. <laughs> Maybe I'm sentimental. Maybe I'm romantic, but I love that notion. And, and I know that, uh, you know, the two of you, many of your friends are classmates that you had years and years ago. One of the best parts about going to business school is the the network that you build and those incredible friendships. And that's what stays with you for the rest of your life. And I think that um, it's actually possibly the, the biggest benefit of going to business school in the long term is, is those, those relationships and the dividends that it pays both personally and professionally um, for the rest of your life. There you have it. Well, listen, check it out. 100 Best and Brightest MBAs Class of 2021. And congratulations to you if you are about to graduate or if you've already graduated and you made it through during this crazy time. We salute you, really. This is John Byrne with Parts of Quant. You've been listening to Business Casual, our weekly podcast with Maria and Caroline. Thanks for listening.